I'm Claire Edwards, and you're listening to Raw Authentic Leadership, a series of conversations, insights, and inspirations with leaders who are real, raw, and authentic. Today, I bring you a conversation with Nikki Mee, founder of Free to Shine, a child protection organization that prevents school-age girls being trafficked into the commercial sex industry in Cambodia. Nikki shares with us her unique journey of how she came to create a charity, something that wasn't on her to-do list, and the interesting twist that became her vision. I'm sure that as you listen, you'll glean so many valuable leadership lessons for life. Enjoy. I met Nikki Mee when she had just launched her not-for-profit organization, Free to Shine. We were in a small, stuffy community hall. I believe it was the CWA on the Sunshine Coast. And I saw then in Nikki a determination, a vision, and a passion that I knew would change many lives. Nikki is the founder of a child protection organization that prevents girls from being exploited or trafficked into the commercial sex industry in Cambodia. These aren't easy statistics to hear, but they do need to be shared. Cambodia ranks ninth highest for percentage of population living in slavery. There are more than 4.8 million victims of forced sexual exploitation, and more than 99.4% are women and girls, over 21% of which are children. Now, my business partner, Anne, and I have been supporters of Free to Shine from the early days, and I invited Nikki to be in conversation with me for the category of the visionary leader. And Nikki reminds me of that old proverb that, you know, if you think you're too small to make a difference, try sleeping with a mosquito in the room. And I recently found this quote heading chapter two of Nikki's new book, Do What Matters, which we'll chat about later. Nikki, welcome to Authentic Leadership. Oh, thank you for having me. It's, it's been a long time and it's been lovely. We just caught up on Zoom face to face before and it was lovely to see your smiling face again. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so, Nick, before we get into your vision for Free to Shine, I, I'm curious as to what, you know, what was life like pre-Free to Shine? What were you doing? And, and, and was heading up a not-for-profit ever or always part of your early vision? that's a really good question life was good it was one decade ago but seems like many decades ago Mm -hmm. and no heading up a not-for-profit was most certainly not part of my vision um I was so my background's in psychology primary school teaching and I, I I was a primary school teacher primarily grade fives and sixes but um other year groups as well Mm -hmm. and I and also life coaching i'd done um i'd done neurolinguistic programming and i was coaching surgeons and principals like driven people who wanted to do um cool adventurous stuff in their life without it getting in the way of their career so it yeah i was happy in life (laughs) in general i was happy i'd I'd had lots of adventures, so you can hear from my accent. I grew up under the grey skies of England. Yeah. Um, And I decided when I was 13 that I would emigrate out to Australia. And so on the way, I turned that into an adventure. Um, I lived in a little Greek village for a year. I hiked mountains in Canada and swamps and volcanoes in Hawaii and glaciers in New Zealand and kayaked on the Colorado River, stayed in a Navajo reserve, drove a monster truck school bus over crushed cars. Like, I did <laughs> heaps of really cool, fun things. But one thing that was always on my mind was helping children, especially abused children. So when I was a primary school teacher, that was never my end goal. That mm-hmm. was a stepping stone to um, becoming either an ed-, ed psych or clinical psych to work with children. And I guess the more and more psychology I did, the more it raised as many questions as it answered for me. So it yeah. just, it wasn't quite the right fit for me. Um, and that's when I discovered coaching. And so I was about to go off on a new thing with coaching, but the very first question that got asked in the coaching course when we mm. were practicing on each other was, 
in what way have you not stepped up in the world? Ooh, and what a, what guess, a question. <laughs> yeah. And that's basically what sent me off to yeah. Cambodia and, and where this all began. Um, but no, even when I was doing that first volunteer month in Cambodia, I did not plan to start a charity. Um, and neither do I actually think anybody should. My plan was to volunteer for an hour a day. So maybe mm -hmm. seven hours a week. Um, but I asked a group of survivors what they wanted and what they needed. And when they explained to me that they wanted to end sex trafficking, I began looking for a not-for-profit that was doing that because this, this particular one that I was volunteering with was in rescue and what okay. rehabilitation, like aftercare, which is it's where I thought I'd be able to apply these NLP skills, actually. Mm -hmm. But it, it wasn't what they needed when I got there and I met them. It wasn't what their focus was. So it was much more of a Western concept. So when I began looking for who was doing prevention, which is what they wanted, I couldn't find the organisation. So I couldn't volunteer for anybody else because it didn't exist. So they almost handed you the vision. They did. It's not my vision. <laughs> wow. And, I mean, yeah. and it is, it's, a, it's a hugely, it's a hugely bold vision. So where, I mean, you so, know, what, what would you like me to do? Oh, end sex trafficking. I know. <laughs> where do you start? I'm, I, I wasn't specific in my question when I asked, <laughs> what do you want and need? I, I forgot to say, bear in mind, I've got an hour a day. <laughs> what do you want and need that like 30 of us in on the Sunshine Coast could achieve in an hour a day? Um, yeah, yeah, but you also you also had a choice to decline that and you didn't. And, make, you no. know, and, and I suppose that's how you did step up and step up yeah. hugely. So how did yeah. you then look, how did you embrace that? How did you take that on and own it? I couldn't say no, I couldn't. Yeah. They were the most, they were the strongest, most incredible young women I have ever met. And I, I know strong women and I learned about strength from them. So when they explained to me that they wanted me to go out into rural villages to find girls who aren't in school and get them into school because if they were in school under the watchful eye of a professional, then they wouldn't be trafficked. Mm. I knew, I, like I got goosebumps all across my body. I knew they were right. I thought, right, well, I've done psychology to help children who have been abused. As a teacher, my, before I taught science, geography or anything, it was about making sure that child was safe, looking mm. for clues and signs in the, in the girl that, screams every time granddad picks her up from school and things like that so wow. i knew that you've got that child protection angle to it you know mm -hmm. so when they asked me to do that i i was i'll be honest i was a bit stunned because <laughs> i didn't know how to do it i had zero idea how at that particular point in time i've never even been out to a rural village Gosh. let alone go out to a rural village and find girls like how am i going to get to the village oh, okay, well, if I work out how to get there, then how am I going to find girls who aren't in school? And geez, if I find them, how am I going to get them in school? Like, I had no idea, okay. but I knew they were right. I, kn I knew it had to be done. So you've, you've got this vision. You're, it sounds like you're breaking it down into chewable chunks, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I think that's important what what did you need to do i mean what did you need to do in terms of other people and resources and uh, to to build this oh millions of things like so many things but i think when they actually handed me that mission I still, at that point, didn't know that that would include founding a charity. I mm. literally went out and met with about 200 other organizations trying to find, can you point me in the direction of the child protection organization that's doing this? Point me to whoever's involved in child protection or anti-trafficking. So I, I was very much searching for who was doing it. And yeah. then I was going to offer an hour a day to them. Um, but I couldn't find that. So it, it started to come clear that it didn't exist and it would need to be created so then i began checking in 
do you think it's needed? And, and everybody that I spoke to said, yes, it's needed. It just doesn't exist. So in terms of beginning and, and resources, to be honest, I had to work on myself first. Yeah. So all those coaching skills that I'd learned that I thought I would be building a career out of working with clients on, I just applied them all to me. So mm. not long after I came back from that month in Cambodia, I found myself at a seminar that I didn't know when I signed up to the seminar, I didn't know that it would include a fire walk. So I remember going like, right, I got to step up and walk across. Like it's, it's another one of those things, isn't it? Like the mosquito in the room. It's like, yeah. I'll, walk, I'll walk across hot coals for them. If I yeah. can do this, then when I get to the next hard thing, I'll be able to remember that I walked over hot coals. So that's one thing I'll be able to know that I could do. So I guess I just took it chunk at a time, step at a time. And I think it's interesting. I'm just reading, you know, in your book, you said, yeah, it was a mission of epic proportions. Yeah. And I think there's a point that you just made there about, about self-leadership and how important yeah. self-coaching is in self-leadership, yeah. about building that awareness, about checking in with yourself, about, and I suppose also, you know, being being kind to yourself because if this is a vision that's been handed to you how do you manage that pressure did you see it as pressure because you've gone out and you've you found that nobody else is doing it you've you've accepted it you couldn't not do it yeah how did question. you manage yourself <laughs> it's it's like everything isn't it you don't manage yourself once and you're done it's like it's constant yeah, really yeah, like you keep yeah. doing these things like eating we have to you know we eat breakfast we're not done we need lunch as well so I suppose I knew it was epic I did know it was epic I didn't feel pressured because they didn't want me to do something that I didn't want to do like there's a chapter in the book where um, one of the survivors asked me every day if I was happy. She didn't ask me how I was. She asked me if I was happy. Yeah, I and loved what that. I lo it was a beautiful, yeah, it was such a massive lesson. Like, they don't want us to do things that we're not genuinely happy to do. Mm. So there would be bad energy attached to it. If I, if I felt like that, then I shouldn't have done it. I shouldn't have taken it on. And if I feel like that at any point in time, then that will be time to start. Mm. Um, but I guess the way I managed it, because I did know it was epic, is I decided, I, I made like a little, I don't know, bargain with myself that I'd do it for 15 years because I couldn't, I knew once you started, like, how do you stop doing something like that? Like, if, if you start and I've got to start, I've got to give myself like a get out clause at some point as well, rather than signing up for eternity. So I decided to myself that I would do it for 15 years. And in 15 years, I could build it to a position where if I wanted to then hand it over in 15 years and I did want to walk away and return to life or move on with life or whatever, that I could and it, and it would be built to a, a place where it would still continue. So I sort of gave myself a 15 year and that wasn't as scary. Yeah, and, and I, think that's, I think that's really important because at the end of the day, it's, it's your career as well. It's a of course it's a vocation, but it's also your career. It's like, you know, asking a priest mm. and, and the priest says, you know, do you think I'm perfect? No, I'm, it's a job as well. So, yeah. <laughs> and, and from a, from a leadership perspective then yes you need that succession planning you need yeah. that exit plan um yeah. and and i'm i'm really keen to explore a little bit more of just expanding on the things that were involved in setting this up uh, you know yeah. in terms of your own leadership skills what were some of the milestones the challenges the lessons learned and by the way i love how every chapter in your book finishes with the lessons learned <laughs> So what were some of the, you Thank know, you. gosh, it's like, okay, and now leading this organization. <laughs> well, I guess, I guess my plan was to stay three steps ahead. So mm -hmm. I never thought, right, I've got to, I've got to become all of it to be able to begin it. I just thought, right, at this level of it not existing, like I've just got to get it started. And then... As I work on the organization, which I'm doing all day, every day, 
I must also work on myself so yeah. that I've grown and developed three steps ahead so yeah. that I can then take the organization forward. Otherwise yeah. it'll outgrow me immediately. Like I've got to grow. It's not just the organization. So I guess I'm just constantly doing that. I find that my um, life works in quarters. And so at the end of every quarter, I reflect and reassess and work out what else does the organization need and what else do I need? Yeah. Um, so yeah, lots of, um, lots of research, lots of learning, lots of, um, I've done more courses since then. Um, yeah. And, and I'm putting um, the right people around me. And so it wasn't as if you'd lived in Cambodia for 10 years before you <laughs> embarked on this um, <laughs> mission of epic proportions. So what were some of the cultural challenges that you had in, in building a team and, and leading people? It's loads. Yeah. Um, <laughs> where, do you, where, do you, where do I start? You're about to get to that section in the book. Okay. Um, so when I first began, we were... All the research explained that we should really be working with like in partnership with people so finding local organizations that were already doing this and since we couldn't find a local organization who was already doing this finding a local organization who could do who were doing something similar or around child protection and then bringing this into that so to begin with we tried working in partnership with organizations because that was apparently best practice um, but as you'll see in the chapters that you get to shortly, um, mm -hmm. that did not work. That was never going to scale. That was always going to require me doing a lot of progress reports, paperwork, mm -hmm. case notes. Like it wasn't going to be as professional and best practice as what we we wanted it to be. I always wanted to know that when I'm talking to people, I want to be able to say with full integrity and authenticity that like, your money will be well spent. Yeah, and I yeah. wasn't. I, I got to the point where I wasn't able to to say that if I continued um, there. So that was some of the cultural things that. Um, and then just you know, like leading staff. Like I've got a staff of twenty two, but mm -hmm. over the over a decade, I've had sixty seven different staff. So wow. recruiting ten of those have been international staff that have worked with me on this and the rest have been Khmer. And the cultural differences are massive from um, concepts of fairness. I mm -hmm. never would have realized that a concept of fairness would differ so, so greatly between the two countries. Um, wow. Can you, can you give us an example of that? <laughs> yeah. When I had seven staff, Mm -hmm. And we were going to be recruiting more. We were growing. So we were going to be recruiting additional education officers. And they sat me down to talk about the pay structure that I was giving them too much, like too much money, too much of, oh. um, too big an increase. So too, like their, their, their salary was increasing too quickly, basically too much <laughs> and too quickly. Really? And I was like, oh yeah, I know. But the thing is, they wanted me to change that for future staff, but they didn't want it changed. Obviously, they didn't want it changed for current staff, but I'd actually, out of those seven, three of them were new. And so they were at the beginning and were about to get the, that particular um, reward structure. And they didn't want it for the next people that came in, but they did want it for themselves. And I was like, well, how is that fair? Like, if you really think that's the better system, don't we want the better system for you? And they said, yeah, that is the better system. No, we want the worst system. Wow. <laughs> that makes sense. And we talked and talked and talked, and I could not understand their, like, how the, I couldn't understand how they thought that was fair, but they were adamant it was the fairest thing to do. Gosh, okay. <laughs> so how, <laughs> how did you resolve it? I went away for four days to the mountains and did some yoga and meditation and tried to get my head around it and work mm -hmm. out like, is there something that they're saying that I'm not getting? Am I not reading between the lines? Like, what is this? And then in the end, I just had to say, as much as I want to take into account I want to take everybody on this journey with me. I want my team to be very much on this journey with me. Um, but that doesn't mean that everything can be a democracy. It was one of my first lessons that if I'm going to yeah. lead this, 
I have to make the decisions and then I have to live with those decisions. So even if my entire team are saying that that's wrong, if I, if I think, if I don't think so, then I, I have to do it. So I did mm. it. Um, I kept the pay structure for the new, for them and for the new ones coming in. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, it came to bite me in the bum years later. Like I was wrong. <laughs> wow. So how did it, how did it bite you on the bum? Oh, that's another epic chapter. You, you'll get to that chapter too. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I'd got you this book get, earlier, I tell you. You will get to that chapter, but um, it basically resulted in me losing an entire staff. It was crazy. It's like the hardest thing, one of the hardest things I've been through where, mm. um, yeah, um, the whole staff walked out. Wow. I had to start from the beginning again. Wow. It's it's really interesting as I'm as I'm listening to you. Um, what I'm what I'm hearing is, on the one hand, you have you're absolutely driven. You have a passion. You have a mission of epic proportions that you couldn't say no to, and you're leading a business. So you have this huge emotional yeah. drive, and then you've got this rational logical <laughs> analysis that you need to do how, yeah. how have you married that how have you brought that together i don't know um that's a lovely I, honest I, answer <laughs> <laughs> i am a logical person so i always go back to logic but then obviously I I am much more of a feeling person than I used to think I was otherwise this wouldn't have grabbed me and I wouldn't even be doing it because mm. if I could do something logical without all this emotion wouldn't that be an easy life yeah, so yeah. I guess I just am both and what I try to do is in each decision that I have to make I check in with emotions and feelings because they're giving you information they're they're telling you what your gut is feeling so I don't ignore emotion but I also just I think naturally come from a logical place like when I'm making a decision I run it through several filters like what's this you never know the outcome of a decision you just have to make it so I, I look at like best case scenario, worst case scenario, what, what are the possibilities? What are the things that could happen here? And which ones could I live with and which mm, ones couldn't I live mm. with? And, and I don't make the decisions until emotions have subsided. I let the emotion um, guide me in what decision I think yeah. I should make, but then I sleep on it. If, if, it's, if I can see it's, it's driven by an emotion, then I'll sleep on it and see if I agree with myself next time. <laughs> Wise words, I think that's, you know, in, in, terms, of, in terms of leadership lessons, I think mm. that's, uh, that's a really important one. And I think often in business today, it's hard when the pressures are so tough and you have to deliver. Mm. And, um, but, you know, we, we, mm. know, we know that making decisions when we're emotional, it's not always, not always the best outcome. Um, totally but I also think if you don't have the emotion and you only come from logic I don't think that's any more effective either I think if maybe I'm lucky because I naturally do both and if if you don't naturally do both then you've got to work at doing both but I don't think one without the other should happen (laughs) I I couldn't agree more absolutely agree with you so and I've also learned Claire that I get better at making decisions like I used to take a lot 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 longer on each mm-hmm. decision but then when you're doing something like this the decisions come thick and fast and you've not finished dealing with one situation before the next one comes mm. in so you end up having to learn to trust your gut and know that that's not just a feeling but your gut is like your first thing that's telling you what your head and your heart are thinking so absolutely you know, at it. and that's what that's why i love neuroscience because yeah you know we're finding out now we've got okay so we've got 86 billion neurons in our brain, but we've got 100 million neurons in our gut. Our gut is intelligent, yeah. you know? It, yeah. it, it, there's a reason why they talk about, you know, gut feeling and, and making yeah. decisions on intuition, that it absolutely yeah. has a role to play. And I think and you have to learn to trust yourself, don't you? Yeah. I think people, people don't necessarily trust themselves. I didn't used to, so, mm. yeah. And I, I think, think also... As a leader in business is that, you know, when, when someone comes to us 
and they say that they want to do something, then the the go-to response is, well, okay, show me the return on investment, give me the cost-benefit analysis. And I think today there is, you know, there is a movement towards, well, what's your gut telling you? And yeah. okay, you know, if we're going to fail, let's fail fast and fail forward. But yeah. let's give let's give this a go and take that into account as well as the logic and, and, and the rational. Yeah, and I've also found that it's about making connections with other people who have done. They've not done what you've done, but they've done something in a similar field or they've done aspects of it. So there are enough people that you can go to and say this is the decision I'm about to make. Can you see any angle I've not looked at? Can, can you see anything that I've got a blind spot on? Yeah. And they can sometimes point those things out and they can share with you what, what's happened for them or what they've been through or what they've learned and stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, that's funny. That's twice now you've anticipated the next question that I was going to ask. Oh, really? Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, uh, and um, we must be doing well on the airwaves today. And I said, that question was around sort of, you know, around decision making and decision making support is that who who do you access obviously you're not you're not a, a lone crusader Definitely so maybe not. within free to shine and, and 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 also externally how have you built that sort of yeah. board of advisors so to speak yeah so i've I th- uh, let me see I'm, I'm thinking there's probably four ways so mm-hmm. one is the board of directors, the people who are in it with me from very, very early days. And so they've got like this broad overview of the mission, what we're doing, what we're achieving. So they can make some of the nitty gritty decisions that the organization is based on and depends on and, and secure in the organization in those, in those kinds of ways. So I'll take certain decisions that have to be made. I'll take to a discussion with them. Mm-hmm. Then there are like practice-based decisions um, and they're not the people for those decisions, but there I hire really, really competent, experienced, skilled people. So I hire psychologists and social workers with 20 years yeah. experience and stuff. So then they don't make decisions alone. They bring the difficult ones and we'll case conference it. We'll work yeah. it out. So yeah. those decisions are covered by people with that expertise. And then, as you mentioned um, not too long ago, you said, not only are we doing this, which is like social work and child protection, but it's also very much got a business aspect mm. to it. So I thought, right, well, I've got psychology, I've got teaching, I've got coaching, I've got a little bit of business, but it's not my strength. So I built a team of business advisors. So when mm-hmm. I've got business stuff that needs to be checked in, I go to people with a lot of experience and results in the business sector. So we talk through those things. And then the fourth um, set of support that I've set up around me is other people who have founded other organizations, right. um, like charities or the charities. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I've got like a, a, a really good solid group of those where I can take any decision and any like problem, challenge, difficulty, question. And I'm always met with support because it's other people who are doing yeah. it, they get it. So. Yeah always happy to support and going going back to the early days someone who comes to mind with me for you was Kylie um tell me about Kylie (laughs) yeah Kylie's been awesome so I met Kylie when I first got back from Cambodia I was invited to a lot of different business networks to to talk and Kylie had been asked to attend this particular network because they knew I was speaking and that they wanted her to meet me and so while I'm talking I did something like a 15 minute presentation and I saw this woman sitting in the the crowd like paying so much attention Mm. tears in her eyes and she came over and met me afterwards and she's never left my side since. She's been amazing, <laughs> absolutely amazing. Wow. And her and I work so well together. We're, we're quite different. Like she loves the stuff that I don't, the compliance, the government, the accounts, the finances and all that stuff. And then I do the stuff she hates, like the public talking and everything. So we have worked so well together. I couldn't have done it. I don't. I really don't think I could have done it without her. Did you make a sign a fifteen-year contract? 
I keep trying and she won't. <laughs> I keep wanting to tell her she has to stay. And then I'm like, no, damn it, we're anti-traffic and I can't make people stay. I've got to make her want to stay. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, no, I mean, there are some, there's some good leadership lessons there as well about surrounding yourself with people who are as good as or if not better than you and, and getting yes. that diversity of, of skills and strengths. 100%. Yeah. Wow. Um, I, I think you've mentioned it a little bit, but I'd like to explore it a little bit further because we had a chat just before we went on the podcast and I, in the spirit of authenticity, I said to you that I was really struggling with the book, really struggling yeah. because even though, you know, I've been a supporter of Free to Shine for, for a long time and I've got my lovely little girl, Keith, um, who I sponsor, I didn't really, I didn't really understand what was going on. And I, I would just really urge people to, to, to get your book and to read it because I know that if I go into any of those details now, I'm not going to be able to do the rest of the podcast without being a blubbering mess. But I think the, the, the question I want to ask is that, I mean, you know, you must, you must have experienced some, some very challenging situations. And, you know, going back to this thing about you're on a mission and you're running a business is how do you bring yourself back to balance? Because you, you have to maintain your reserves to keep going. Yeah, it's a really, really, really important question, I think. And it's one that I'm... I probably only got good at three years ago and okay. even then I probably started it three years ago and I've got good at it now. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I probably just went, 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 went and just kept going, 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 um, to begin with. And then by the time we'd gone through a lot of challenges, a lot of harrowing experiences, mm. I realized that I was like residually tired. Mm. And I thought I have to look after me because we haven't built the organization to the point yet where it would truly survive and thrive mm. without me if, if, if something happened to me yet. Like we're, we're building it to that in case something does. But so I suppose what I'm saying is to begin with, the driver for me in taking care of myself was to take care of the organization. Yeah. yeah. Um, what I've obviously realized since, since then is that I ought to be looking after myself anyway. But how do I bring myself back to balance? I attempt to start the day <laughs> balanced. So I guess I'm doing a lot of different activities. So mm -hmm. I do yoga three times a week. I do combat self-defense twice a week, aerial yoga twice a week. I go swimming, hiking, stand up paddle boarding. I go for coffee every day. That's my like time. Mm -hmm. I sit at the river in nature lots of beach walks with my dog. My dog keeps me in the moment, little mm -hmm. Willis. But I, I don't know, for me yoga like there's three things that that we seem to focus on in 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 our yoga classes which seems perfect for me i don't know if it's been tailor-made for me or not but <laughs> it's it's we're we're building like the building blocks of strength and i yeah. think yeah so i've got to look at strength like you'll see in the book that's one of the that's the one of your four pillars. pillars isn't it yeah yeah you've got to have that strength and keep building the strength. It's no point like building yourself strong and then, and then that's it. You, you become depleted again. So yoga reminds me, teaches me and makes me practice strength. Mm -hmm. And then the other one is flexibility and flow. <laughs> like, I think if you're going to run an organization, what you're really doing is leading people. And if you're going to lead people, you need to be flexible and know where to, when, how, and, and to flow, you know? Yeah, yeah. And then the third thing that we work on is balance. And I think like even just doing some of the balance yoga poses lets you know that day whether you're in balance or not. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so for me, starting and finishing the day on the, on the mat lets me have that like quiet time, bring myself back. And, and that's been a coping mechanism, especially yeah. when I'm in Cambodia. I now leave the office and go straight to a yoga class okay. <laughs> and for a swim. Yeah. And, and as a lover of adventure, do you, do you mm. still get to go on adventure holidays or how do you, how do you know uh, that? No, <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> Is that for no. time? <laughs> yeah, maybe. 
Um, no, to be honest, I, that is one of the, the sacrifices that I have made. Mm. And I guess there's two things with that is one, I did nearly all of the adventures that I wanted to do. So yeah, there are a couple that I still want to do and I do mm -hmm. hope to get to, but then in all honesty, this has been the adventure, yes. like building an organization yes. where you don't know what you're doing. You've got to grow fast. You've got to learn. You've got to pick up skills. You're employing people. You're doing this. You're like a foot in two different cultures. Like that's been the adventure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it's had all the adventure I've wanted in it that the rest of the time I'm not craving adventure. I'm craving quiet, like alone time. Predictability. Time <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you yeah. how do you divide your time between Australia and, and Cambodia? I go where I'm needed when I'm needed. Okay. So Yeah. Um I probably spend about a third of the year in Cambodia and two thirds of the year in Australia. And with technology like Zoom, I'm able to Zoom with my, my team regularly. Yeah. Um, in the early days, I was needed a lot more over there while building it. And then once we'd built it, I was needed here a lot more for funding it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. I, okay. I tend to do approximately three months here and a month there, three months okay. there and a month there. Mm. Good. Well, I'm glad you, you've, you've mastered that in the last three years then. I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to talk a little bit about, about the book, Nikki. So your book is Do What Matters, what a, what yeah. leading a child protection organization in Cambodia taught me about life and leadership. So yeah. there's a couple of questions, really. One is what prompted you to write the book? And, and then the second mm. question is really... Who, who is the book aimed at? Because it seems to me that mm. there's, there's, a, there's an amazing array and mixture of, of education, yeah. certainly for me, that yeah. I've been educated in the first 55 pages of this book, but also those leadership lessons. So I'll hand yeah. over to you and stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> so why did I write the book was because I wanted to... When I began, it seemed like it was about sponsors and donors over here providing education for them over there. And we realized very quickly that it was like a lot more than that. Like we would get, we would thank the sponsors at the end of the first year and get letters back going, no, thank you. <laughs> thank you for changing my life. And this is what it's done. And, da, da, da. and I think what I very quickly realized working with families facing immense difficulties children mm -hmm. battling to go to school is that they have got a lot right that we have got wrong sure we've got a lot right that they've got wrong but they yeah. it's like two pieces of the puzzle and we yeah. each hold one and so it's not if 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 we think it's about us here providing education for them over there we're missing half the story oh yeah so i thought you know they've got this wisdom and an approach to life that we could learn so much from. Mm -hmm. So I thought for the whole 10 years, I've been thinking, how can I bottle it and get it mm. over here? Because initially I thought maybe we could take people from here over to Cambodia for trips and experience. And then I realized, and, and that's all in the book as well, how, how that does not work. Mm. Um, so I thought, how can I like bottle that? How can I share that wisdom and mm. an approach to life with people? So, I suppose the book is for people who are ready to step up yeah. in their life and their leadership. It's a call to action to do more with the life that we over here too often take for granted. Mm. And being called Do What Matters is a reminder to do what matters most to you and to work out what matters most to you. What matters most to you in your business? What actually matters most with your family? and what matters most to you in the world and doing that. But you're right to spot the, the lessons learned um, the end of each chapter having like been built around a, a lesson and, and that being at the end of each chapter because I thought most founders of charities write a book in, in terms of like a memoir or a biography. Yeah. And I thought there's scope to do something a little bit different. If what mm. I wanna do is really bottle bottle this this way of living and, and the knowledge and wisdom that they have and bring it over here that 
I wanted to write it primarily for business leaders because I think we're living in a time at the moment that is really quite exciting in the sense that business, more than ever before, has the power to create the world we want to live in because people don't trust governments to do it anymore. We don't trust them to do the right thing. So it's coming down to employees and customers demanding it of businesses and business leaders. When I've been, like, as I've been working with business leaders to grow our funding, I've been really hearing from them more and more how they're looking for ways to leverage their skills and resources, that they've built this thing that they love, they do this thing, but they know that with the skills they have and the resources they have, they could be leveraged to do something else. And so I think with 2020 just beginning, and we're now on that last 10-year countdown to the 2030 development goals, there's a real opportunity to speak to business leaders about what they can do. So that was one of the reasons that I structured it the way that I did. Great. And I think you're absolutely right. I think we have, and without wanting to generalize, um, in my experience, there is, you know, looking at looking at millennials and, and the generations to come, they want to be part of an organization that's making a difference. And yep. it, it doesn't always have to be, you know, the difference in the widgets that they're producing. But it's what do you as an organization stand for? Um, what do you stand for? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and how yep. are you as an organization stepping up to make yep. the world a better place? And, you know, social license is supporting that. So I think the timing of this is perfect. Yeah. And, and so, you know, in terms of for business and, and do what matters, what can, what can businesses do? And, and, and let's talk specifically about free to shine. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be free to shine, but what is, where can they start? What are some of the things that they can do to, to really harness that, that philosophy of do what matters? So it is working out what matters to them and what, and I suppose that's where the SDGs help business leaders get clear. They can actually look at the different SDGs and work out what matters to them. SDGs Um, being? The Sustainable Development Goals. Great. Yeah. So what we have done at Free to Shine to help business leaders, because we had to look at the fact that people don't just want to make donations. They want to actually really engage. So we've, built like (laughs) we've built like these this partnership model where businesses can partner with us and we provide them with a toolkit of resources and quarterly support tips and guidance to actually help them engage their team because team engagement is huge um how to increase client engagement and also how to Um, grow their business through the impact that they're making in the world and how to communicate that so that's one one way that businesses can do that with us Um, but a really a really simple way to work out if that's going to work for them is is to read the book and see if they're interested in those types of things like and sharing those lessons like these are important leadership lessons that business leaders can share with their mm. with their team and I have to say I do love the authenticity of it I love your style of writing and and you, you know you do share where you're stuffed up you do share where you've been bitten on the bum you do <laughs> you know it is it, it is real raw and authentic through and through uh, thank you with with the vision and and I you know I love your vision because it's it's set it's it's you've created the new world so educated girls free from sex trafficking leading leading and shaping their communities and country where do you see to be able and what I'm trying to get at is how do you quantify that because you can't you know it's an aspirational vision yeah it's not going to be that there will you will by the end of 2025, sex trafficking will not exist in Cambodia. You know, that, that, that's, that, that, that's not going to happen. But how do you put some sort of quantifier on that vision? Yeah. yeah, that's a good question. So in a way, that vision was kind of like our exit plan. So I do yeah. think that charities um, should have an exit plan so that you're not just there constantly always doing it for that particular country that you're working in. So the idea was that 
they have a lot of gaps in child protection at the moment. They have a real scarcity of child protection professionals. In fact, um, the social work degree has only been around for a few years. So there's not actually very many qualified social workers in Cambodia. So the um, educated girls shaping and leading their community was set around gender equity and them stepping into leadership roles because if so for example the 59 rural villages that we work in 57 are led by a man so 57 of the village leaders are men and i believe that if if women led 50 percent of the villages 50 percent of the communes 50 percent of the workplaces in cambodia the child trafficking would be reduced massively yeah so i think it's important to help women get into those decision making roles and those leadership roles across all different sectors um but also child protection so psychology teaching social work and law we need we need female lawyers who won't be corrupted (laughs) yeah um so that was kind of where that vision came in but to answer your question how how do you measure that if it's not quantifiable luckily it sort of is quantifiable so Mm -hmm. there is something called the trafficking in persons report the tip report and it's the u.s state um, department puts that out every every year around june july time and it assesses every country on the level of trafficking that is occurring in that country whether it's a source country transit country destination country and it looks at the laws whether those laws are being adhered to whether um, perpetrators are being found and prosecuted Uh Um, and then it gives each country a ranking and so australia for example like the uk is a tier one country meaning that it does happen but the country is doing everything that is deemed appropriate to be doing Uh um so you can you'll we will know when cambodia becomes a tier one country because at the moment it it fluctuates between a tier two and a tier two watch list country which means it's either growing significantly or people are not being prosecuted things are not being done to the degree to which they should Uh so our our goal is to eliminate trafficking in cambodia to the same degree as Australia, England, so so that it becomes a, a tier one country. Oh, wonderful. Big, hairy, audacious goal, isn't it? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and how, how many girls have you had through to shine since you started? 753. Wow. We've still got, there's, there's still a lot of those that are still with us, and, and some are graduating, some are at university, some have moved on, um, but 753 across 59 different villages. What a legacy you're leaving. Wow. I have a good team. I have a very good team working <laughs> with me. <laughs> so apart from reading the book, and, you know, it's funny, I, um, I send out briefing notes in advance, and you, you do got a copy, and, uh, yep. and I say, you know, if there's something that you'd like to promote, then we'll, we'll top and tail the podcast with it. But blatant promotion will, will result in a podcast not being published. But I feel so strongly about this book and the difference that it can make <laughs> that I'm more than happy for it to be blatantly promoted. So about Thank from, you. Now I mean it. <laughs> <laughs> the book only launched a couple of weeks ago and I was actually really quite nervous, you know, yeah. because you think like, oh, you're going to be judged and what are people going to say and what questions am I going to be asked about it? And I'm so thrilled with the feedback that I've got in the last couple of weeks. It's been mm-hmm. so positive. Mm, so now it's uh, it's like a, a stone that you're throwing in the lake and the ripple effects are gonna you won't you won't know you'll know the complete ripple effect of of, yeah. of of the impact of this book but apart from yeah, buying that's the book, okay and i'll mm. put i'll put all the details of where to buy it on the on the show notes mm. um mm. you know if you if you were to in in all of your experience of of being handed a vision of and especially in the last five minutes that you've been talking that Actually, this is, this is a much bigger picture than just getting girls from rural villages and, and, and putting them into education. It's way, way bigger than that. What, if you had a message to, to give to people that, that were listening to this podcast and they're, 
they're emerging leaders or they're leaders and they, you know, they want to fulfill a vision. What would mm. be one or two pieces of, of advice based on your experience and your wisdom that you could give? Hmm. I think what we talked about earlier, that leadership begins with self-leadership. Yeah. I think that's massively important and overlooked so often. Hmm. Checking in if what you're doing is effective, as well as checking in if what you're doing is ethical. Mm. Um, and to keep checking in on those things to keep learning <laughs> yeah keep learning keep growing um get that support system around you and i suppose i suppose it comes back to the title of the book do what matters to you yeah. i think the reason that so many people over here have this like sense that something's missing something's not right is because we we aren't always either in our work or in our business or with our family or in the world we're not always doing what matters most to us so i think it's about coming back to that question in what ways could you step up and are you doing what matters most to you do you know what matters most to you yeah how can you become the benevolent mosquito of your world <laughs> Oh, Vicky, it's been such a pleasure to speak to you. And I just, uh, yeah, I, I really do. I really do take my hat off. And um, I, you know, for the next five years, that could be longer, you never know, but at least for the you next five know. years, you never know. I hope you continue to get the, the support and the, and, and the funding and, and everything that you need to, yeah. to keep doing what matters so thank you i hope so too <laughs> how can um what are some of the key ways that people can support free to shine and how can they make contact with you is it linkedin or just yeah. support what yep so our website is a good place to go free to shine.org Facebook is a good place. We've got Free to Shine on Facebook because that gets updated um, more regularly than yeah. the website. So both of those are good places. I can be found on LinkedIn. And, and you probably don't book. have a huge amount of time to be doing LinkedIn. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. But um, still, they still they still should reach out on LinkedIn. That would yeah. be cool. And do you um, you speak at conferences and? I do. Yes, I do. So again, I, sh I share lessons learned. So I take usually three to five of the lessons out of the book and share that, share those with um, business leaders so they can apply them in their own workplaces. Great. Um, but yeah, I, I, I do think that one of the best ways to get started, like I could go through seven different ways that you, you could get involved, but until you actually know a little bit more, you're probably not going to know which one is right for yeah. you. So yeah. I really, really do think that getting the book is the, is the best way because then you'll get a sense of what's involved, where your skills might match, what your interests are. And then there's a page at the back of the book that details seven different ways that you can, you can support if you want to. So um, getting the book on our website, freetoshine.org forward slash do what matters or just hit book on the on the main tab um, and yeah help me get that into the hands of other people that can help so fantastic that would be brilliant <laughs> thanks again Nikki um, it's been an absolute pleasure and I look forward to getting this out to as many people as I can go well stay balanced <laughs> and I hope you find your adventure again awesome thank you for having me <laughs> take care nikki go well you too thank you bye 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 bye, bye.